With us, we're especially glad to have you here. We want to extend our personal welcome to you. And one of the ways that we do that is by feeding you. You can see a pattern from our church. We, we feed a lot of people. That's okay. That's what we do. Hello. Um, if you're visiting with us, we want to extend our welcome to you. One of the ways we do that is by offering a lunch that will be in this fellowship hall immediately after worship. That is for... Um, Visitors, new members, and college students. And so uh, if you fit in one of those demographics, um, we would love to have you stay and, and have lunch with us. Now, some people have said, well, I don't ever get to come to lunch. You come to lunch anytime you want to. If you're a member, if you're, if you're, you want to, I want to have somebody to eat with, you come in there. Nobody's going to check your card. Nobody's going to date you or, or, or uh, in any way turn you away. So don't feel excluded by that. If you want to come have lunch, you come have lunch. That's what it's there for. Um, Wednesday night, there's a, a cool thing happening. Um, you know, usually we have a meal at 530 uh, here on Wednesday night. That's just to make life easier. If you're, I don't know, your family may not be as hectic as mine is, but we're trying to pick the kids up and get them dressed, and get homework done and get practice and all that and then get back to church. It's, it's a mess. So we try to make that a little easier by having a meal. You see the pattern? We like to eat. Um, at any rate, uh, this week we're going to do something special, and the kids of the children's ministry are going to prepare a Valentine's Day meal for any of you who show up. They are going to prepare, help prepare that. They're not going to do it themselves. It'll be edible. Um, but they're going to help prepare that, and they're going to serve that. And so if you don't normally show up, show up. It'll be cool. You'll enjoy it. Uh, it'll be fun to be a, a part of that. Then next Sunday, the Impact Church from uh, Houston is going to be here. And um, they are going to uh, conduct the worship. And it'll be really cool to be a part of that. You want to see that. And they are doing a tremendous work. As, as Chris alluded to, we're in a, a series we call Scandalous Love, which is studies from the book of Hosea. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn over to Hosea. We're going to be in chapter 1 and 2 this morning. We started in the middle last week so that you could get a feel for the climate of what uh, Hosea was living in. And now we're going to go back to the beginning because that's just the way it's going to work better. You'll, you'll see, uh, you, you have to understand the climate to understand Hosea's story. Um, now, one of the things I love about this congregation, as we have so many college students, is that we have a lot of weddings. You know, there's a lot of weddings that happen uh, in connection with this congregation. And I, I can name off four or five that, that have happened in this year, or this past year alone. Um, and, and, and we get to, we get to be a part of a lot of weddings every once in a while when I'll do a wedding, I'll have a couple that wants to write their own vows, you know, and some of y'all may have done that. It may have worked out great for you. I usually try to discourage that and, and, and that makes them nervous and they go, why, why, why can't I write my own vows? And I say, well, you can write your own vows, but I tell the groom when you're standing up here and you see her walk through that door in that dress, in that moment. You're not going to remember your name, let alone a speech that you wrote a week before. Because that's the way it happens. Guys who are married, you remember that moment, right? When you saw her in that moment, she was the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. You're supposed to say amen, guys. There you go. <laughs> Trying to help you out, brothers. Come on. At that moment, she was the most beautiful thing you saw in your life. And, and in that moment, in that moment in time, 
everybody lives happily ever after. In that moment, everybody has happily ever after. And I think Hosea was probably the same way. Now, scholars will tell you that they believe that Hosea wasn't writing a moment-by-moment account. So God didn't give him something and he said, okay, God, let me go write this down. Okay, now I'll go do it. He did it and then he came back later and wrote the account. So some of the things that you will see him say, he's telling you how it's going to end up in some of the words he chooses. Um, And and so we kind of get a glimpse of, of where it's going of what the ending of the story is going to be as he's writing it. But I believe that in that moment, in that moment at the beginning, like any other wedding, Hosea is thinking about happily ever after. I believe in that moment, as he stands there waiting for his bride to come down the aisle, he is just like all of us, thinking about how this is going to end, that this is going to be happily ever after. And for a couple of years, he got it. For a couple of years, they set up house, they, they begin this life together, um, a meager life, I'm sure, I don't know what the salary range was for a prophet in Israel at that time, but I'm sure it wasn't much, and, and there, but, but a lot of you who remember that have told me some of your happiest times in your marriage was when you were young and broke, right? You remember that. And, and, no, I'm not encouraging you to go back there. I'm just saying. You remember that, that some, when you started out and you were living on love, to quote Alan Jackson, you were, you were at some of your happiest. And that's where I believe Hosea and Gomer are. They set up housekeeping. They start building a life together. And eventually, she bears a child. Now, I told you a few weeks ago my experience with my first child, and a lot of you remember that who are parents. You remember that experience. When you hold that child, you, you never realized you could love something like that. I didn't. I, I, I didn't realize that I could have those kind of feelings for a, a human being. I loved my wife, but my child, the love I had for her was totally different. And, and it was overwhelming to me. I didn't, I didn't know I had that capacity. And, and I, I believe that Hosea has to be feeling some of the same things in that moment as he holds his son, his firstborn. God tells him to name his firstborn Jezreel. And this is where you start to get some clues that this is not going well. The story starts to come apart. This is where happily ever after starts to fade. Because God told him to name him Jezreel, which means God scatters. It's also the name of a place in Israel where great violence had occurred. It would be like somebody naming their child Auschwitz today. Yeah, you thought your name was bad. Jezreel is named God Scatters, and every time somebody heard his name, they remembered the horrible violence that was perpetrated in the city of Jezreel. And... and, Last week, now, I told you what the culture in Hosea was, that these people were just going through the motions with God, that, that they weren't really committed to God. They were just kind of showing up and going through the motions. It was not their focus. It was just another part of their life, that God could be acknowledged on certain days and, and in certain ways, but He had no real impact in the rest of their lives. And that was started by Jeroboam, one of the kings. These kings who continued to perpetrate the idol worship in Israel. That culture was created by them. And those kings 
had a hand, that succession, in the violence perpetrated at Jezreel. You can look that up and, and, and read it later. But at that time, when God names this baby, He's saying there's coming a time when Israel is going to be scattered by God. And with the birth of this child, Hosea begins to notice a change in his wife. She becomes distant. She becomes a little bit cold. She has trouble connecting with the child and really doesn't want to connect with Hosea himself. As, as this bond between them begins to fray, she becomes more and more distant. They don't laugh together anymore. They don't dream of the future anymore. They're, they're not sharing anything, let alone their lives. And as they raise a child together on this meager profit salary, the stresses begin to grow. Because raising a child is hard. And, and so as you're having sleepless nights and you're trying to figure out how to pay the bills, the distance grows. And she doesn't talk to him and he doesn't talk to her. And, and she doesn't feel well. He doesn't feel well. She begins to be distracted by everything else. And before they know it, there's this gulf that's between them. She finds excuses to be gone. Legitimate excuses at first. She has family that needs her to come for this or that. She has to go to the market. She has a friend that needs her to take a trip with her. It gradually, though, becomes obvious, more obvious, more blatant, that the excuses are, are ways to get away, and specifically to get away from Hosea. She can't take the stress of the kids. She can't take the stress of the house. She needs space. She needs to breathe. And even though they share a bed, she rejects his advances. And the gulf between them encompasses every part of their lives. So much so that it's almost a surprise to Hosea when she becomes pregnant again. She tells him that she's pregnant and he's happy. Sort of. Because there begins to be these lingering doubts in the back of his mind. He sits alone at night by the fire wondering, where is she really? When's she going to be home? There are questions about timing with this child that, that aren't making sense to him. But, but he's holding on. He's, 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 he's been faithful. He's been a good provider. He's loved her. And he doesn't understand what's happening to his relationship. This time she gives birth to a daughter and God tells Hosea to name the girl Lo-Ruhamah. Ruhamah is a Hebrew word that has its root in what we would call the womb. It, it was commonly used in Hebrew to refer to the love a mother has for her child. But when you put the modifier Lo at the beginning of it, it means not so, the little girl is named not loved, or no mercy, no love. At this point, people sometimes ask when we study stories like Hosea's, why does God do this to unsuspecting innocent children? My reply is that God doesn't do this, that our sins have consequences. And when I make choices, when I sin, my sin carries over to everybody I love around me, whether I want it to or not. We don't live in a vacuum. And so when I sin, it affects those that I love. And they have to pay prices that they're innocent of. 
The pregnancy is hard. Gomer gets further and further away from him. She becomes sullen and even cruel. Um, and, and, and more nights than not, Hosea is left home taking care of the kids while she's finding reasons to be gone. She's with her family. She's with her friends. She's at the market. Hosea will carry little Jezreel and, and, and Lo Ruhamah with him when he goes to work because he's still got to try to make a living some way. And, and occasionally he'll be walking through the town and he'll come across Gomer in the marketplace. And she'll be talking to a man. And she's laughing and she's much more her old self than he's ever seen her in years until she sees him. And then her whole countenance changes. And Hosea starts to hear the whispers. He starts to listen to the gossip. He starts to hear the things that are circulating around town because his little family is the talk of the town. And he gradually begins to listen to the rumors. And it starts to eat on him from the inside. He sits alone at night by the fire after he's put the kids to bed, stoking the fire and struggling. Talking to God, talking to himself, crying, wondering what he's done to ruin his marriage. What's he done to drive his wife away? After she had weaned little Loruhamah, Gomer became pregnant again. And this time there could be no doubt. There was no physical way that the child was Hosea. It's only horrible certainty. There's a certainty in his mind that takes over and and he can't deny it anymore. He can't convince himself that he's wrong anymore. It's confirmed by the name God tells him to give to the boy. Lo am I, not mine, not my kin, not my people. And so you can see him there at night. You picture Hosea by the fire. His heart is broken because he's left alone with children, some of whom aren't even his own to raise. He's no longer wondering when she's coming home because he's realized that she's not coming home at all. That she's left them all. And he stokes the fire and he cries. And he's left with the broken husk of a failed marriage. But if you look carefully, if you listen carefully, if you look deeper into the heartbreak and in the hurt of this story, you hear a deeper cry. You hear the cry of a broken-hearted God. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burnt offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaw. And I bent down to them and fed them. It's hard for us to imagine a God who can be hurt. It's hard for us to accept that that our God can be broken hearted. But that's the story of Hosea. 
A God who says, I've given you everything. I've lavished blessings upon you. And yet you take them and you run around with your lovers. With the blessings that I gave you. How do you do that? Hosea chapter 2 verse 8. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Brokenness, rejection, hurt, betrayal. This is an awful heart-wrenching tale. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that it's our story. Because I'm Gomer. We are are Gomer. God blesses us so richly with more than we could ask or imagine. But we're the adulterous ones. We take those blessings and we run around chasing after whatever idol it is that has our attention this week. We take all the blessings that God gives us, our time, our talents, our money, our resources, our family, and we lay them at another altar. We give our money and our time and our energy in pursuit of careers or retirement accounts, investments, entertainment, sports, sex, control, politics, religion, or just pleasing the God that we see in the mirror. And we say to God, you can still have your time on Sunday. You can still have an hour a week. I can't give you my whole heart and my whole time and my whole creativity. You can't expect everything. I have a life. And how can you even ask for that? What kind of God wants the first fruits of everything? What kind of God wants the first of everything that I have? You can't have the first fruits of my money. I worked hard for my money. I can't bring you everything you ask for. That's that's just unreasonable. I'll pay my bills. I'll take care of my budget. And then if I have some time left, if I have some money left, if I have some energy left, God, you can have the scraps. And time and again, we break His heart. We run off after whatever it is that has taken our fancy, and God's left alone with His thoughts. Now, in a country song, this is where you would say, thank God and Greyhound, she's gone. Roy Clark. Modernize it a little bit. Mama's in the graveyard, Papa's in the pen. Right? That's what the country song would be about. And nobody would blame God at this point. Many would even say to Hosea, it's okay. You have a scriptural ground for divorce now, Hosea. You can get rid of her and move on with your life. Is that what God does? Does God move on? Does God leave us and go after the other fish in the sea? No. God doesn't abandon us. God doesn't move on. You know what God does? He pursues you. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor is where Achan was stoned to death after he sinned when he kept the spoils from Jericho. You remember that? There I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. 
And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal. The word Baal is is used in a lot of different ways here. It has three different translations in the ancient Hebrew. It was also, it was used for idol worship and used for that God, but it was also used, it could be translated master or overseer, overlord. And so the idols the Israelites chose were overlords. They demanded everything of them, including the sacrifice of their children. And the Israelites chased after these Canaanite gods. They were Baal. They were overlords. But God, even despite that, continues to pursue. He, as we see here in chapter 2, God is courting us. God is, is calling to us. Because Baal can also be translated husband. And that play on words in verse 16, You will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my overlord. God says, I'm going to chase after you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to stop loving you even if you reject me. I'm not going to stop pursuing you. I'm going to love you with a reckless, unbridled, crazy kind of love that never quits until you see me, until you see my heart and you call me your love. I want you to love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Hosea 1, starting in verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. God says that promise that I made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, I'm not going to break that. I'm not planning on breaking that. Even though Israel has broken their covenant with me more times than I can count. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of the Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. God says, I'm going to redeem you. Even in the midst of what you're doing here. Even in the midst of your rebellion, of your rejection, of your adulterous uh, betrayal of me. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to fulfill the promise I made to Abraham. And more so, I'm going to bring you a head. I'm going to bring you one head which will unite you together. See, even in the midst of this betrayal, even in the midst of this adultery, even in the midst of this rejection, God's thinking about Jesus. God's thinking about uniting all people together. God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you like I made with Abraham. And your sons are not going to be called not my people. They're going to be called children of the living God. And no longer are you going to be called no mercy Or no love. You're going to be called, you have received mercy. You have received love. Because great will be the day of Jezreel. Remember I told you Jezreel is translated God scatters. It can also be translated God sows. Because even in this moment, God is thinking about Jesus. 
He's thinking about redemption. He's thinking about sowing that seed into the whole world and uniting us all under one king. That's gospel, folks. That's good news because we're those nations that it will be sowed to. That's good news. The gospel story is right here in Hosea. God says that their betrayal breaks his heart. Our unfaithfulness causes him pain. But he is more faithful than we can ever even imagine. Even in the midst of this pain, he's thinking about the future. He's thinking about redemption. He's thinking about Jesus. And about how God will sow seeds of forgiveness that will impact generations and nations to come. That's the gospel. That's the good news for me and you this morning. That even though I'm Gomer, even though I have betrayed him, even though I've taken the gifts that he's given me and I've laid them at the feet of other gods, he will never stop loving me. He will never let go of me. And even, you want to know what love was? What is love? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you and I were adulterous betrayers of God's love, He's still finding ways to redeem us. And He's calling us home. He's calling us to accept that love. That's that's the gospel. And if you've walked away from God, if you've walked away from His love, the good news that I want you to hear this morning is that He has never let you go. Even when you let go of Him, He has never let you go. He's never stopped loving you. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you think that's turned out, He loves you and He wants you to come home. All you have to do is accept that love. You have to accept that love, that forgiveness publicly confess him publicly proclaim i want to live for jesus i'm tired of doing this that might thing myself we symbolize that by submission and we do that through the act of baptism where we are buried symbolically and raised to walk in a new life god says when we do that the spirit of the living god that raised jesus christ from the dead comes to take residence inside of you and empowers you All He's calling you to do is to let Him love you. Won't you do that this morning, right now?